Hey, Selma Midtown, this is Brandon Shields. Today is Friday, June the 26th, and I want to welcome you to another episode of our podcast designed to help you practice the way of Jesus in the time of global pandemic and social unrest. Um, today, I'm really honored to have as a guest on our podcast, Colin Moreno. Colin is uh, a friend. I guess Colin, we've been friends for the last couple of years. Um, our families are friends. Uh, Colin and his family attend some of Midtown and Colin's uh, businessman here in our community. And um, so we're, we're going to kind of continue to unpack here uh, as we close out this week, um, talking about healing, um, kind of the implications of um, the healing ministry of Jesus for how we live in this tension of the now and the not yet. And so um, I want, I invited Colin to tell a little bit of his story because it's so unique and so powerful how God has been at work in his journey, um, specifically in this area of healing. But I just want to first say, Colin, thank you for making space and for being willing to come and share your story. It's a, it's a joy to have you on here. Thanks, Brandon. The feeling's mutual. So um, joy to be here. Well, Colin, I'd love if you just share a little bit of your story. Um, so your uh, first wife, Jane, um, died of a terminal illness several years ago. And uh, as Christians, you guys went through that whole journey of um, of kind of this, this testing that this situation brought about. And God, I know, did some really profound things in your life and Jane's life. And so I'd love just for you to share a little bit about um, that journey. What was what was that like? Can you describe a little bit of the background of kind of how that came about and just any any details that would help uh, set that story up? Sure. So, um, so basically my wife and I were, were trying to have children and we kept miscarrying. So, um, so we went to a fertility specialist and, you know, when you go in there, they're, they're, at first they're very hopeful. They're, they, they talk about all their success stories and we were getting our hopes up and, uh, they sent Jane for an ultrasound and, uh, found a tumor. But but still quasi hopeful there. Mm. Um, she said, "Look, we're gonna we're going to refer you to an oncologist." Where oncologist did some tests, and the co- oncologist was actually hopeful too. She said, "Look," she says, um, "Ovarian cancer. There's a biomarker, which is a, a blood test that that measures um, ovarian cancer, and it's the CA125 level." And she says, "Look," she says, "All right, I've done a number of tests here, and the, usually when it's cancer, the CA125 level just spikes." up and yours is above normal but it didn't spike Mm -hmm. and also the tumor usually if it's cancerous the the the, the tumor is very jagged and rough and rough on the outside and i'm looking at this tumor and i I, it's very it has a very smooth surface and i'm i think that it's i'm i'm hopeful that it's benign and so we were very hopeful going into the surgery we were um you know, excited. I mean, well, we, we were prayed and, you know, the first stage of grief is, grief is denial, how you're like, sometimes our optimism or our hopefulness or our, our, our certainty that God's going to rescue us is, is, is a denial. And mm. um, so, so Jane went into the surgery and they give you this, this beeper and they say, well, we'll call you when, when Jane's ready. And the beeper just went off way too early. Um, and so I was with one of Jane's friends, Jackie, and I. You you're, you go into this consultation room and you wait for the the surgeon. And um, the surgeon walked into the room, and the two first two words were, "It's cancer." 
And mm-hmm. she said, look, um, I, I, there's two, you have to make a choice here. The first is, is that we can either do a full hysterectomy, which gets more of the cancer, but you'll never be able to have children, but the, the chance of reoccurrence goes down. Or I can remove the tumor and leave the ovaries in. You'll be able to try to have children, but the risk of cancer goes up. And and then she says, I'm going to give you five minutes. I'm going to come back and I need your answer. And wow. she, she left the room. And I, I, you know, the first four minutes and 59 seconds, I didn't have any. I mean, I was just, um, I was praying for wisdom and I didn't, didn't know it. And, and like three words came to me. It was almost as if the Holy Spirit just said, you can adopt. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then also, I don't know if I could live with myself if I left the ovaries in and, and the cancer came back. It, it really, it really was God's mercy. I mean, in the hindsight, I look back and I just say, this cancer was aggressive. It was going to come back no matter what. But, mm-hmm. um, the doctor comes in and I say, do the full hysterectomy and she says, okay. And, you know, we'll call you when, when we're ready. And it just takes forever. You have the surgery and then you have post-op and then you, you really can't see her in post-op. You have to wait till you go to the room. And, um, they said, you know, you can see her now. And I ran from the surgery room to the, the room in the hospital where she was. And it's, and when I walked in, I ran into the door and she's, um, she's on her back and her head can only look at the ceiling because she just came out of surgery. But through the bottom of her eyes, she sees me and she says, it's cancer, isn't it? And I said, yeah. I said, how did you know? And she said that when the, the two nurses were wheeling her up here, she was coming out of anesthesia and they thought she was out. And one said to the other, um, this is the one who had the full hysterectomy. And um, that was our introduction to mm-hmm. cancer. And um, so, so simultaneously, uh, Jane discovered that she would never be able to have children, and, and that she had this deadly cancer that was, you know, 90% terminal for everyone. So, mm. um, and, and you know, and I mean, there's other. We we wanted to have. So I waited till the time was right, and I said, "Hey, would you be interested in adopting?" And we went to we went to uh, an adoption agency, and they had this website. And you yeah, you you've adopted, so you know you mm. you go through and you see these kids, and they have bios, and you pray about them and get excited. And we we went through um, Bethany Christian Agency. We had we had moved to Michigan for a couple of reasons. One is the 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 cancer was aggressive, and U of M Hospital could help. But also, um, Jane's mother and sister lived mm. nearby, and they were just angels. They um, my sister-in-law Lorraine was just a godsend through the rest of that journey. So God was really providing. Um, and we went, we met with the adoption people, and they were like, "Well, we really want you to, um, we really want you to be two years cancer-free to begin this mm-hmm. process." I mean, a lot of the kids you're going to adopt are, have gone through trauma. We wanted an older child, and I mean, mm-hmm. basically, you know, some kids been in you know, unadopted for eight or nine years or 10 years or 12 years. I was like this, I think God's leading us here. And, um, and then 22 months later, the cancer came back. And, mm. 
I, a neat part of the story is I, t- I told Jane, I said, you can have anything you want. You can, you can have anything you want. She goes, I want a dog. I want a golden doodle. Mm. And um, <laughs> so um, these these breeders are stricter than adoption agencies. I, we, we would, we went, she did, she found this one nearby and we went and, and so we'd moved to Michigan. We were living in an apartment. Um, Jane had talked with the oncologist about whether I should keep working or not. And if I'm, if I'm home all the time during her recovery, she was home and it was, she's like, I think it would be healthy for me to, to work and just do something. So she was, she went back to work and I remember going to this, this breeder who said, you know, we like have these little six-week-old puppies in our arms, and the breeder looks at us and says, "Well, do you have a backyard?" And we're like, "No, we're we're living in an apartment right now." And the lady's like, "Well, we really we really want our owners to have a backyard for their dog." And um, <laughs> and she looked at us. She's like, "Is one of you going to stay home with the dog?" And we're like, "No, we both work." I thought the lady was just going to pull the dogs right out of our hands at that point. And, and, and Jane, who really kept a, a great sense of humor through all this, we got back in the car and she's like, they'll never let us adopt a kid. They won't even let us adopt a puppy. And, um, but, but we did, uh, you know, we ended up, we, we got the perfect dog at the right time. And, mm. um, and, you know, I told years, years after, Jane had died like a couple years after she had died. I was talking to one of Jane's friends, Karen DiPietro, and told her the story and, you know, the whole thing about adopting the dog and me telling Jane she could have anything she wanted. And at the end, Karen just said, um, she, she didn't, she didn't, she got the dog for you. She didn't want it for her. Mm. After she had been diagnosed, she said, to Karen, she had a conversation with Karen and just said, I don't have much longer here on earth and I don't want Colin to be alone. I want him I want him to have a dog. So mm. And is so that, that peanut was, butter? Yeah, that's peanut butter that's or peanut dog. butter. The infamous dog. Loving my family my kids love peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> well he's that's his story, so he's so and just a reminder for context, you guys were newly married. How like how old yeah. were you when all this started, and then how long was her journey and her battle with cancer in total? Yeah, she was diagnosed at age 39. Um, okay. I it, We had been married only a couple of years. I got married okay. late in life, and she got diagnosed at uh, 39, died at 45. She, her mm-hmm. cancer journey was five and a half years, so she was wow. diagnosed very at a very young age. Man, it's so heavy, and I know that um, God's done a, a work in your life, and I know he did a lot in your old marriage, even during that time. How how did you guys? So, in the context of thinking about healing specifically, yeah, just a little bit like how did you guys pursue healing for her? Um, how, what like at that time in your own faith journey? Can you know like map this onto your even your yeah. spiritual journey a little bit? Like, what did you believe about healing? How did you guys pursue that? Did did your beliefs about healing change if at all like during that that season like i'd love to hear just a little bit about how you how you guys thought about thought about and pursued healing yeah it's a it's such a good question um well we pursued healing with you know aggressive pragmatism we were pragmatic we'll we'll try anything that we thought would work and sure um 
I've I've thought about you know you you some of this question like how did that change I think for me theologically you know I'm I um you know I knew that God doesn't heal everyone I we had had we have had family members and friends who died of cancer and things so there was a theological perspective of healing that I I want to share three things one is that I think it went from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge. I think mm-hmm. I think that that I think that all of our theology is head knowledge until it till the rubber hits the road, until we mm-hmm. until we are till we are impacted with deep hurt and pain and wounds and uh, you know hurt like just grief and what we do with it. That's when our, our theology becomes real. It, it, beca- it just becomes validated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the ways that it really changed me was in my prayer life. I think, I think that my prayers um, in the beginning, I really wasn't giving God any flexibility in how he was going to answer my prayer. Like mm-hmm. it, He was not going to answer it in any other way than the, how I was demanding that he answer it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I would say that my prayer life went from a uh a demandingness or a or a, a a view that if I just prayed hard enough or with some um, enough certainty that this was going to um get God to act and I think that went it went from just like a a fit, like praying with having my prayer requests wrapped up in my fist to to praying with just palms up surrender mm. just just offering my prayers as a as a as an offering and allowing him to answer answer my prayers any way he wanted to and then just being surprised by his his omnipotence and his care for me and his gentleness and his um intimacy that he wanted with me and and his his carrying me through it just um was incredible that way mm. Mm. um and so i i think it, so i i said i had three things one is the way that i prayed the other was going from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge and then third i would say it it went from praying for an outcome to praying to a person who was revealing himself in the journey that the that the outcome that I really was just asking for daily bread I think mm. that the outcome was just too far into the future to pray about and I just was was praying for daily bread and seeing how God was going to show up to provide that and knowing that um that I I again it goes back to prayer but prayers um, you know, like, like instead of we we have prayer lists, we have prayer requests, we have prayer goals, we have prayer uh, outcomes that we want God to to do. We want God to do something instead of meeting God face to face in mm. Jesus and saying, mm. "Teach me who you are." I, I, you're you're teaching me something through this journey that I don't want to miss because I'm my my eyes are too focused on the outcome. I don't want to mm. miss anything. Yeah, I love that, man. That's such a powerful image of just prayer as, and healing as 
uh, as a person and not not a formula or not outcome based, right. which I think for all of us is a temptation of just trying to force outcomes or maintain control and and I love that imagery of just being carried, like God carried carrying you along. I think of right. like a Psalm twenty three, you know, leading you, guiding you, but but really carrying you. I'm sure at times there's just an exhaustion, a fatigue from living in that uncertainty and that roller coaster ride, you know, that illness, um, and especially terminal illness can be for so many people. How how did you how did you experience God sustaining you in that season? Like where do you look back, are there you know, do you see things now where you're like, man, God really carried me through in this kind of way? Or how did yeah. you experience God's like present grace and him answering? Clearly he's answering prayers. It's not that God doesn't answer prayers. He just doesn't always answer them in the ways that we think he's going to. Um, R- but yeah, right. how did you experience that? It just, it just, I wish, yeah, it's, it's, it becomes obvious in hindsight and you, but in that when you're in it, you're just, you're in the, you're just being carried. I, like even even the way that I shared how God slowly revealed, like maybe it would have been too overwhelming to handle. So you, so you know, there was an optimism that we found a tumor, but it could be benign, or the CA125 level, or you know, the the cancer itself. You would you would put hope in, and I think the healing, that the transition. You said that how do we pursue healing? I, I, there was a big transition from pursuing healing versus pursuing the healer mm-hmm. and mm. and the healing the way that God slowly unfolded our life it was almost like we were in this protective bubble that gave us only enough pain that we were allowed to endure that we could that we could possibly endure endure and he he just carried us and um mm. it was gosh so much of its mystery. I mean, so much of. Mm-hmm. I, I think that in your, I know you're part Enneagram five, and I can turn my Enneagram five on when I study scripture, and I I would study scripture like it was a math problem that mm. needed to be solved. And there's so much of it that's just a mystery. Mm. Um, and then and then in that mystery, you you come with no answers before God on your knees and you, and you just say, and then, and then you go about your day and you just see him providing throughout the whole day. It's, um, I mean, I wish, I wish I could remember some certain things, but just yeah, the way he took care of it, the way he does it, it it's just, uh, it's pretty, mm. pretty powerful. Mm. I think that's a really important point. Emily and I were actually talking about that, Sunday, as we were just kind of thinking about the teaching and the different accounts in the Gospels of Jesus healing people, it is such a divine mystery. And I think we right. struggle with that. In our in our <clears throat> spirituality, we can be very triumphalistic or we can we can reduce God to just a, you know, a formula, but it, there is so much mystery. And I think if we're not, like especially those of us that are a little bit more logical and linear and Western and our approach to spirituality, it's like we have a hard time with mystery. We have a hard time right. with just no obvious answers or even with the ways that that Jesus like does things so differently from person to person. It's like right. custom custom tailored for <laughs> different situations, which yeah. is maddening because that like it it almost seems inconsistent or unfair at times, but it is the mis- it is part of the mystery of of who God is, and um, that that I think especially it's like 
it's one thing to say that, like you said, theologically, it's another thing to actually live in that mystery, to live in kind of the labyrinth of the mystery of what God's doing. And and yet that is the only way you keep your sanity is to just kind of own that mystery and acknowledge that and stop trying to fix it and just live it, you know? Yeah. So something that really helped me was to, to realize that the, my lack of understanding was not the cause of my pain. Mm-hmm. So therefore, understanding mm-hmm. would not be the anecdote to my grief. Mm-hmm. That, that, you know, if God had opened my eyes with complete clarity so that I understood everything and, and uh, I understood why, you know, and I understood all the, all the mysteries, it, the, the thing is, is that it wouldn't have brought Jane back. And, mm-hmm. you know, what I was missing was Jane. Mm-hmm. And all the clarity in the world wasn't going to take away the grief of her of her absence. Mm-hmm. How would you um, encourage others, you know, in our community? I just think, I mean, this is a reality for our pastors every week as we have people that are walking in all kinds of um, darkness when it comes to their pain, right? We talked about this Sunday, but sickness is an enemy. It's not... Um, it's not God's will in a, in a perfect world, in a world of shalom. God, God hates sickness, and we need to name that as evil. And so we're, we're constantly facing this evil, whether it be just the evil of miscarriage after miscarriage. You guys talked about your own struggles there with infertility. Um, so many people are struggling with that. We have people that are experiencing like deep physical chronic illnesses. We have people that uh, have family members that are, you know, facing down very significant diagnoses. Uh, we have people that are walking in trauma from, you know, past abuse um, or folks struggling with just addictions and things that are, you know, consequences of choices that are being made, but nonetheless, it, you know, yeah. bring about pain. And it, it, it just seems like they're waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, and yeah, it's like we believe in the resurrection and we know that ultimately we're going to be made whole, but that struggle can take you to some really dark places. And so right. I guess just out of, as you reflect on your journey, how would you encourage people? What does it look like to faithfully journey, you know, with honesty and authenticity, but also a hopefulness? Yeah, I am very cautious about giving people advice just because I, a lot of people, a lot of well-intentioned people would give advice at a time when I was in a deep pain, and and, and my thought was, I you really don't know what I'm going through, and so I'm very mm-hmm. cautious. I have a friend, Cheryl Taylor, who we share widowhood. We're both widowed. We both had been widowed within a year of each other, and she said, I'm going to write a book called What to Tell Someone Who's you know, Going Through Grief and you'll open it up and all the pages would be empty. (laughs) (laughs) Good advice on on what to say. So, so Mm. here's the thing. I really don't want to be trite. I don't, I don't want to be. um, So my, my thought here is that um, I think that there, there could be a, there's a world that we're not, we don't see. Like, for example, mm-hmm. bumblebees. Bumblebees can see ultraviolet light. I don't know if you know this, but bumblebees see ultraviolet light that we can't. So there is, bumblebees can see something that we can't see. And I think that we talk about this mystery. I think that there's this whole world, there's this whole spiritual world that we don't see. But, but, but then, but, but it doesn't mean that because we can't see it, we don't know what it's like. I think scripture, and I think the person of Jesus, and I think what the Bible tells us is that 
you can't see it, but you, I think you can trust it. And um, I think that that we have this honor to represent God in this battle against Satan in the spiritual world. I, when I read through Job, and I think that all these people that you've identified in there in in your church and and in our church and in my life, it, 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 Jane's life when she was battling the cancer, is that you know, God said to Job, He said, or God said to Satan, "Have you considered my servant Job?" Which um, is for me, you know, I going into that, I just always thought that Satan was accused. Satan started this argument with God that he he started by accusing God that Job would not be faithful. He's only be faithful because you blessed him, and if you stop blessing him, he's going to stop being faithful. And I, I think I believe that because I have such an inner critic, and I have a daughter who's an Enneagram One who's just that that you, that's what you think, and then you read the scripture and you see that God is saying. Um, to Satan, he says, I am going to fight you, but instead of fighting you, Job is going to fight in my place. And if Job remains faithful, then I win this great spiritual cosmic battle. And if, and if Job pitches the faith, then you win. And, um, I, I, you know, I think about, I think about like the nativity scene, like when you, when you, you preached numerous Christmas sermons where, you know, Mary and Joseph are, on a donkey and they go to a manger and they give birth to Jesus and all of that is from earth's perspective. And then when you read Revelation, you you see about you read about this woman who's clothed with the sun and who's about to give birth and there's this dragon with seven heads whose tail sweeps one third of the stars and is trying to devour the baby as soon as the baby's born and you're like, wait a minute, this is the Christmas story from from a heavenly perspective. And mm-hmm. This is nobody. Nobody's ever preached on this on the Christmas <laughs> service. You know, it's duly it's, noted, Colin. Duly, duly noted. Just, just a suggestion <laughs> for this coming Christmas for you, Brandon. COVID Christmas. But, yeah, COVID Christmas. But um, so maybe uh, you know, my, my I, C.S. Lewis. I, I, I want to end with a letter that he wrote to someone who was battling all of this. He he wrote this letter and he said that he said little people like you and me if our prayers are sometimes granted beyond all hope and probability we'd better not draw too hasty of conclusions to our own advantage because maybe Mm. if we were stronger we might have been treated less tenderly if we were braver we might have been sent with far less help to defend far more desperate posts in the great battle so um, you know these Maybe, maybe that all this suffering is you have this this great spiritual um, you, you you have this opportunity. Maybe you are the recon marines and the great desperate outposts in like the great spiritual cosmic battle, and you get to represent God by proxy in the battle against Satan. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. And that is uh, is profound, and there's so much in there to chew on. And I appreciate the fact that you didn't just give me a four step, <laughs> a four step <laughs> formula as we're talking about mystery. Um, and so much of it is is presence, and so much of it is acknowledging um, the, these these greater realities, these greater spiritual realities that we're in. And 
Um, and I hope that that will bring comfort to understand that God is present, that he sees, he knows, and uh, and he's called us to represent him to one another as well as we are a community. We, yeah. we represent and reflect God to one another sometimes and most of the time in our silence, not knowing what to say, but showing up for one another and loving each other well. And I appreciate your heart and your encouragement. And I know that's who you are as a person. And so thank you for sharing that. I'd love, how would you mind just praying over folks in our church who may be going through a tough time and maybe asking God those why questions, you know, and, and wrestling with God through um, trying to understand why he heals or why he doesn't heal in the midst of very painful circumstances. I'd love if you just say a quick prayer for those folks and ask God's spirit to, to fill them and, and to help our church be a place where it's safe to struggle and wrestle, um, but ultimately to find hope in the resurrection power of Jesus, that he wants to heal, that he can heal. Um, and whether he does that now or on the other side of uh, the kingdom, it is God's heart and he can be trusted with our pain. Yeah, I'd be honored. Um, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I lift up all of the hurting people in our church. I, I pray that you would be with them and that you would care for them. And and we know that you are, and I pray that you would um, make it real. And you would open their eyes to seeing where you are working and how you are treating them tenderly and um, I pray that you would um, deepen your relationship with them, carry them through it, show them how you're carrying them through it and um, and just give them sufficient healing now and um, knowing that you're going to give full healing in heaven. I pray that you would show them all the ways that you're carrying them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.